amen. Praise the Lord for that. What a great, great song. I want you to take your Bibles this morning and join me in Mark chapter number 11. Mark chapter number 11, beginning in verse number 1, we're going to read down through verse number 11. This is known as the triumphal entry. It's hard for children to pronounce triumphal entry, so we called it Palm Sunday. It's recorded in all the Gospels. This morning, we are going to look at Mark's account as Mark gives the account of his rendition of as Jesus triumphantly entered into Jerusalem. Now, remember where Jesus is going. He's going to the cross, just as we sung about just a few moments ago. He's going to die for my sin, for your sin, for the sins of the world, that whosoever comes to Jesus Christ can be saved. Jesus is coming into Jerusalem to fulfill the great prophecy that Zechariah prophesied in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. He's going to come and he's going to the cross. And he's doing so because he loves you. Uh, this is the great triumphal entry. Look in what the Bible says, if you would. Mark chapter number 11, beginning in verse number 1. And when they came nigh to Jerusalem, unto Bethpage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, he sendeth forth two of his disciples, and said unto them, Go your way into the village over against you, and as soon as ye be entered into it, you shall find a colt tied. Now let me pause right there and say something parenthetically. This colt here is a young donkey. It is a young donkey. And he says it's never been ridden, it's never been broken. And so here's this young donkey, this colt if you would. And the Bible says, Whereof, O, never a man sat, loose him and bring him. And if any man say to you, Why do ye this? Say ye that the Lord hath need of him. And straightway he will send him hither. And they went their way, and they found the colt tied by the door without in a place where two ways meet. And they loose him. And certain of them that stood there said unto them, What do ye loosing the colt? And they said unto them, Even as Jesus had commanded, and they let him go. And they brought the colt to Jesus, and they cast their garments upon him, and he sat upon him. And many spread their garments in the way, and others cut down branches off the trees, and strode them in the way. And they went before, and they that followed cried, saying, Hosanna! Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the king of our father David that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna! In the highest. And Jesus entered into Jerusalem and into the temple. And when he had looked round about upon all things, and now the eve time was come, he went out into Bethany with the twelve. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. Many of you know I, I grew up in Gadsden, Alabama. I was born and raised there in Gadsden on the Coosa River. And uh, my stars had a great childhood growing up. Loved going to Coosa. I, I saw some of our school folks watching today. I want to tell you how much I love you, Rachel Firestone. It's good to see you. I'm glad that you're watching. I moved from Gadsden, Alabama to Carrollton, Georgia, when God called me to Georgia to Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. And when God called me to Mount Pleasant Baptist Church, the, the church, uh, uh, they, they had 
part-time youth pastors, but they were looking for a full-time youth pastor, an associate pastor. The call went out, and, and uh, that's a whole other story how, how we got there. But, but God moved us from Gadsden, Alabama to uh, Carrollton, Georgia. And I'll never forget that uh, when we moved there that day, there was a, a gentleman in the church that said, Hey, listen, I, I, I got a trucking company. I, I sell sheet metal, and, and, and I'd love, I've got a truck. I'll, I come through Gadsden all the time. Let me just bring that truck, and we'll load your stuff up on it, and uh, we'll bring you to Carrollton. Well, that was going to save a little bit of money, so I thought that's good for the church, and that's good for us. Well, when moving day came, here come this big, huge 18-wheeler. Now, Miriam and I were just married. We'd only been married three months. Uh, we had bought our first house. And this big transfer trailer came, came to get our stuff. I'm telling you what, we didn't have enough stuff to put on the back of just a regular F-150. But the fact of the matter is, we had this big, long truck. And not to mention, the, the, to get everything up, we had to reach up so high to put it up. It really just didn't make sense. The, the point I'm making here, when we went to Georgia, when we moved to Georgia, it was not a triumphal entry. It was not a triumphal entry at all. Uh, we ended up scrapping that, and we just moved piece by piece over into Georgia. But we find this to be true. When Jesus rode into Jerusalem that day, it was a triumphal entry because it was one that has never been done before. Jesus came riding upon that young donkey that had never been ridden, that burden, that beast burden, if you would. The beast of burden carried the Son of God into Jerusalem, fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah 9, 9 that says, Rejoice greatly, O daughters of Zion. Shout, O daughters of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly, and riding upon a young donkey and upon the colt of the foal of a donkey. He is coming. Jesus fulfilled this prophecy on this day as he entered in to Jerusalem. And in doing so, in looking at this passage of Scripture, there are three things that I want you to note today as we remember the triumphal entry of Jesus. Number one, let me give it to you. The first thing I want you to notice is the details of the presentation. The details of the presentation. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to note the first six verses. In these first six verses, we see two very important things in relationship to the presentation and the details concerning the presentation of Jesus Christ as king. It is early in the morning here during this period of time. And Jesus is making these preparations to go into Jerusalem. He's moving through these villages there, which is called Bethpage and Bethany. Remember, Bethpage means house of unripe figs. And Bethany means house of dates. Man, I don't know about you, but I love any city that's named after food. Can I get a witness right there? I mean, here we have Jesus moving through the house of unripe figs, moving through the house of dates. Remember, he's the bread of life, and as the bread of life moves through unripe figs into the house of dates, he's moving towards the cross where he's going to die on Calvary for your sins and mine. Jesus, if you'll remember, had some dear, dear friends in Bethany. There was Mary that lived there. Martha lived there. Lazarus lived there. And he stayed there uh, in some time with them. In fact, Jesus just performed probably one of the most astounding miracles 
besides his resurrection, right there in Bethany as he raised Lazarus from the dead. In John chapter 11. Now we see Jesus at the top of the Mount of Olives. He's preparing to descend down below from the top of this mountain. This mountain stands about 2,600 feet above sea level. And Jesus could see these beautiful cities. He could see Jerusalem. He could see this beautiful setting out before him. One of the things I loved growing up in Gadsden, Alabama, I loved going to the mountain there at Nakalula Falls. But just past Nakalula Falls, you could take a, a, a turn there, and you could go up on an overlook, and you could overlook the city. And you could see the city of Gadsden. It was at that place that I proposed to Miriam uh, many years ago. But I loved going up there and looking over the city. It must have been what Jesus saw as he stood on the Mount of Olives and he looked over that city. And as he's looking over that city, he knows what's coming. He knows the cross is coming. During this period of time, it is important to keep in mind that these events occurred during the weeks leading up to Passover. Historians tell us that the population of Jerusalem was somewhere around 80,000 people. During the Passover, between uh, 2 and 3 million people would fill the city, historians say. And the crowd would be so great, there would be this great celebration. And the people were looking for God to do something great while they were there. God would do his greatest work during Passover, but most people would not see it altogether. Jesus chose this moment to reveal himself to the nation of Israel. And in doing so, he chose this moment to reveal that he is the King, the Messiah. Note two things worth looking at here in this text. Number one, I want you to see the specific instructions. The specific instructions. Look at what the Bible says in verses 2 and 3. The Bible says that Jesus told these two disciples to go their way into the village over against them. And as soon as they entered into that village, they would find a colt tied where no man is sat. Loose him and bring him back to Jesus. Verse 3 says, And if any man say to you, Why do ye this? Say ye that the Lord hath need of him. And straightway he will send him hither. Now, if you have your pens, I would underline that fact. Say ye that the Lord hath need of him. The Lord hath need of him. Man, here's some specific instructions. Go get this young colt. Bring him back. If anybody asks why, tell him the Lord has need of him. Jesus, in sending these two disciples to this village to get this young donkey, is very specific as to what they are to do. And they did it to the T. Brothers and sisters, let me say this. Guests, friends... When it comes to salvation, it is very specific in what you need to do. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Oh, listen to me very carefully. The specific instructions in order for one to be born again, for one to be saved, for one to have a connection to God, for one to get right with God, for one to have their sins forgiven, it is very specific. You must come to Jesus Christ. Salvation is in no other name. 
I've been in countries all around the world. And in these countries around the world, I've, I've heard people say, well, in order for you to get to heaven, then you've got to participate in this. Or you've got to do that. Or you've got to be a, do this ritual. Or you've, got to do this, or you've got to live a certain way. No. The Bible says, in order for you to get to heaven, that you have to specifically come to Jesus Christ. That's the only way. It was very specific instructions. But not only do we see specific instructions, I want you to notice number two. I want you to notice exact obedience. Exact obedience. Look at what the Bible says in verse number six. The Bible says that, And they said unto them, even as Jesus had commanded, and they let them go. It happened just like Jesus said. Some dude come out and said, Hey, why are you taking my donkey? And they said, The Lord hath need of him. You remember that? You remember what he said over there uh, in that passage of Scripture? He said, The Lord hath need of him in verse number 3. Remember, we underlined that. Why did we underline that? Because have you ever known the Lord to need anything? Isn't this an amazing paradox in Scripture? Here we find the Lord signifying his authority, recognition upon who he is. He is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And here we find this great paradox. The Lord needs this donkey. Why did the Lord need that donkey? He needed him to fulfill scripture. To show that he really is who he says he is. Oh, dear friend, great paradox exists throughout all of Scripture. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 8, verse 20, that Jesus, he owned all things, yet he possessed nothing. He created the stars, yet he didn't have anywhere to lay his head. The Bible tells us that he fashioned everything out of nothing, yet he had to borrow a boat in order to preach the gospel. He created every drop of water there that existed in the world. Yet he cried from the cross, I thirst. He was rich. Yet he made himself poor so that those who believe on him might enjoy his riches. He created every rock, but he had to borrow a tomb in which he was buried. And bless God, let me say, in borrowing that, I'm telling you what, when death got a hold of him, he didn't know what to do with him once it got him. He could only hold him about three days, then it had to turn loose. He used the clouds as his chariots, yet he borrowed a donkey on which to ride. The paradox of Scripture, the Lord hath need of this little donkey. We see here in this passage of Scripture the details of this presentation. And the Bible tells us there again in verse 6, look at it, and straightway he will send him hither. It means that the Lord will send the donkey right back to this man when he's done with it. As a matter of fact, when Jesus is done with anything and he gives it back, he gives it back and it's better than when it was when he received it. He gave this donkey back, and this donkey had been broken. He gave this donkey back, and this donkey had been ridden. He gave this donkey back, and this donkey had carried the Messiah, the Son of God. That's how Jesus does things. He takes things that are broken, and he makes them better. You think about this. When that donkey came back, he was better than when he left. When he left, he was unbroken. He was untrained. But when he came home, he was ready for the saddle. That's what the Lord does. He takes what we give him. And then when he gives it back to us, 
It's better than when we gave it to him. Oh, listen to me, friend. You give him an Abram, a lost pagan, he'll give you back an Abraham, a mighty man of faith. You give him Jacob, a schemer and a trickster, and he'll give you back Israel, the prince of God. Uh, you give him a salt of Tarsus, I mean a cruel man, and he'll give you back a Paul, a mighty apostle of God. You give him a Simon, a weak, vacillating man, and he'll give you back a Peter that's a rock for Jesus Christ. You give him a broken, sacred life, and he'll give you back a new life, a new start, a fresh start, and salvation to boot. Praise God for his great love for us. Let me ask you a question. When did you give your life to Jesus? You say, man, I'm broken. I, can't, I, I don't have anything else to give. Oh, you're the right candidate, dear friend. He's just what he's looking for. He wants you to come to him just like you are. Could it be that the Lord has got us in this position today so that all eyes would focus upon him that we might know that we're going to heaven when we die? Dear brothers and sisters, dear friends, listen, guests. I'm telling you what today. God has got our attention. And we ought to be giving ourselves to him. That he might do something great again in the United States of America. In this passage of scripture, you see the details of the presentation. But let me show you a second thing very quickly. Number two, I want you to see the demeanor during the presentation. The demeanor during the presentation. In verses 7 through 10, we see that the disciples go get the donkey, bring it to Jesus, throw their garments on it. Jesus climbs up on the donkey, and he rides down the mountain, verses 7 through 10. And as he comes down through the mountain, he's riding this uh, unbroken donkey that is now broken and doesn't buck or doesn't do anything. And here we see a beautiful illustration of Jesus' dominion over creation. And as the king of Israel, the king of glory, the king of the universe enters into Jerusalem, he enters in two fashions. Did you see it in the text? Let me show it to you. Number one, he enters in as the lowly one. The lowly one. Remember Zechariah chapter 9 verse 9. In Zechariah 9, 9, the prophet Zechariah said he would come riding on this young donkey. And he said he would be lowly. Jesus enters into Jerusalem as the lowly one. What does that word mean, lowly? It means humble. It means the humble king of the universe enters into Jerusalem in a very humble fashion. Imagine the procession, if you would. Jesus is on this donkey and he's surrounded by a company of common people. He was, as one writer wrote and said, this was a procession of paupers. The people were waving palm branches, not swords. He was sitting on old coats and not a saddle. He was riding a little donkey and not riding beside strong soldiers. The Roman soldiers who saw this parade must have laughed. Because they had been a part of a Roman triumphal entry at one time. During a Roman triumphal entry, the Romans had to, do, had to kill at least 5,000 people in order to have this great ceremony. Where they rode into the city and there would be uh, lions and tigers and, and there would be also be uh, th those that had been uh, uh, arrested. The leaders, the kings. 
as they conquered a city. And they would bring these leaders behind those animals. And they would parade and they would shout and scream and yell. And there would just be this great pomp and circumstance. And they would march all the way to the arena where they would let loose those animals against the leaders that had been defeated in their city so that the animals would devour the people. And all of Rome would watch. It was a big, huge ceremony. And here's Jesus. Riding on a donkey, surrounded by common people, riding on blankets on the donkey, people throwing their garments and breaking off branches and throwing branches in the way, shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. We see him coming as the lowly one. Surely as he looked around, there were those common people with him. Surely uh, uh, there was Zachariah was there. Zacchaeus was there, excuse me. Surely Zacchaeus was there. Uh, Surely Martha was there. Mary must have been there. There you looked across the way and there's Lazarus. All the ones by which Jesus did great miracles. Saying we know he's the Messiah. He is the Messiah. All the while Jesus riding on this little young donkey. He came as the lowly one. But watch this. There's a second one. The second demeanor we see in Jesus is he also comes as the lofty one. The lofty one. As the crowd descends the slopes of Mount of Olives and the people are praising the Lord and they're singing and shouting Hosanna, which means save now, save now, save now. The psalmist predicted that this would happen in Psalm 118, verses 25 and 26. And as the people are exalting their king, they have every right to. For Jesus is the lofty one. And Jesus does something here that he, he, he has not done in his earthly ministry. He receives the praise of the people. Remember, up until this time, Jesus, when he's, done, when he's done a miracle, he says, don't say anything yet. Don't tell anybody yet. Don't tell anybody yet. Don't tell anybody yet. Don't tell anybody yet. But on this day, they tell everybody. In fact, it tore up. In fact, in one of the gospel accounts, I believe it's John, in one of the accounts, the Pharisees are so upset, they say, Jesus, tell them to stop. He said, I can't tell them to stop. If I was to tell them to stop, the rocks would cry out. Oh, dear friend, listen to me. Jesus is not only the lowly one, but he's also the lofted one. He's the one that is raised up high, and the higher he gets, the closer he gets to the cross. And as he finally gets to the cross, he dies on that cross for your sins and mine, high and lifted up, suspended between heaven and earth, so that you and I might know he is who he says he is. He is the Messiah. We see the demeanor during the presentation. We see the details of the presentation, but hang in there with me. Here's the third and final one today I want you to be thinking about in this wonderful week that we think uh, of the triumphal entry leading up to Good Friday and going to Calvary and Resurrection Sunday. The third thing I want you to see here in this text 
is I want you to see the despair within the presentation. The despair within the presentation. As Jesus is entering in as the humble king, as he's entering in as the lofty, majestic king, Hosanna, they're crying, save us now. That's what Hosanna means. Save now, save now. We see the despair. Well, what do you, where do you see the despair in this, Pastor? Well, we find it as you look at the overall context of the Gospels. Uh, Luke does a great job talking about this in Luke chapter 19 in verses 41 through 44. He, he talks about how Jesus examined the town. He examined the town. Uh, there is the first despair within the Savior. He examines the town. He looks over the town. Mark doesn't mention it, but Luke does a good job mentioning it. Luke chapter 19, verses 41 through 44. As Jesus neared the city and saw Jerusalem, he saw what was happening. He knew what was coming to pass. He knew that within 40 years, Rome, the Romans would besiege that town. He knew that over uh, 30,000 Jews would be crucified as legions marched towards their city. He knew that the city would hold out for months while people succumbed to the thousands of diseases and starvation. He knew that there would be this uh, uh, huge amount of dead bodies that would be thrown over the walls of Jerusalem. He saw all that. He was dying so that those people would know that salvation was in him and him alone. He knew the Roman general Titus would see the pile of dead bodies lying outside the walls of Jerusalem. And that he would lift his hands up towards heaven and call God as a witness that it was not his fault and that it did not have to be this way. Oh, Jesus looked at the town and there was this great despair within him as he was moving towards Calvary to die for their sins. Jesus knew that the Romans would conquer the city and that the temple in the city would be utterly demolished. Dear friend, we're living in an age today where we are concerned. We're concerned that the coronavirus will overtake our cities. Many have already died. We're concerned that this week, as been reported in the news, will be the, the worst week of all. God always has a remnant. He always has a way. He always has a way of escape. That way of escape is through Jesus Christ. Jesus sees our city. He has wept over our city. In all wise, likewise, tempted like we are tempted. He hurts for us. And he wants us to turn our hearts toward him. We see that Jesus, the Bible says in Isaiah 53, 3, that he was a man of sorrows. Can you imagine, as he enters into the city on that donkey, as the lowly Messiah. As the lofty Messiah in regards to his demeanor. Yet we see the despair within him as he knows he must go to the cross. The Bible tells us that it was in that garden that he prayed. And drops of blood came from his brow. 
a man of great sorrow. Have you ever wondered what Jesus sees when he looks at our town? What does Jesus see when he looks at your home? What does Jesus see when he looks over your home? Oh, this is a great time, dads, to gather your families together, to get our priorities back in order, to put God number one, God first back in our lives. And not just for us at Maysville, but all over the world, all over this country. Let it begin here and let it begin there. Let it begin in your home as the Lord looks over our town. But not only do we see this despair as he examines the town, watch this. We also see he examines the temple. The Bible tells us there, once again, as you look at this passage of scripture, he says in verse number 11, and Jesus entered into Jerusalem and into the temple. You see it there? I'd underline that. Why? Well, because he's now going to examine the temple. Now he's going to look not only at the town, he's looking at the at the temple. He's not only looking at the communities, he's looking at the church. And as he looks inside that church, we see the last thing Jesus did on that day was visit church. He looked, he took the time to look at all things. Look at what the scripture says there in verse number 11 again. It says, and when he looked around about upon all You see, Jesus always does a thorough examination. He looked at everything. You know where I'm heading with this, don't you? What does the Lord see when he looks at our church? I'm talking directly to Maysville Baptist Church. Man, we got churches fussing and fighting. Churches falling apart before even this coronavirus hit. The list of churches that are shutting the doors is growing exponentially. Don't think that the Lord's not looking into our congregation and churches. This is a great time for us to reevaluate our priorities as a church and say, okay, what is important? If we really love God, love others, and serve the world, there's no greater opportunity for us to let that light shine than right now. Jesus looked at the temple that day. Jesus is looking at us Today, Zechariah told Israel to be ready many, many years before. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Many years he told that He said, y'all get ready. The Messiah is coming. They he hauled around. And they saw him. But they never knew him. We see the hand of God at work. Today, in 2020. But do we recognize him? And do we know him? Zechariah chapter 9 says, The king cometh unto thee. He came to them and they were unprepared for his coming. Can I ask you this? Are you prepared for Jesus' coming? They they turned away and said, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Are you ready? 
for His coming. He's here today. He's here to receive those who will come to Him by faith. He's here to restore those who come home. He's here to refresh those who are weary. He's here to reward those who are faithful. He's here to revive those who feel faint-hearted and hungry for more. He is here for you. He's here for you, friend. And all you need to do to come to Jesus is exercise what the Bible says in the book of Romans. If you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You can be saved today, dear friend. I'm telling you what, I'm so grateful. March 22nd, 1988, I gave my heart to Jesus. I came just as I was. Today, Jesus is wanting you to come to him just like you are. He's not asking you to clean up on the outside first. He says, just come to me right now. Come to me right now. Can I ask you this question? When did you give your heart to Jesus, sir? When did you give your heart to Jesus, ma'am? You say, well, I don't know the exact time. I don't know the exact date. You don't have to be like me. But have you ever done that? Have you ever received Christ as your personal Savior and Lord? Say, preacher, how can I do that? The Bible says, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. Say, could you help me? Give me something else. Why, why don't you just do this? Why, why not? With all faith that you have within Jesus Christ as being the Messiah. Recognizing that you can't save yourself. Only Jesus can save you. Why don't you say something like this to him? Say, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I believe you are the Messiah. And today I repent of my sin. And I trust you as my Savior. If that's the desire of your heart, then quit desiring it and start directing yourself towards that. Give your heart to Jesus. And then there are some of us here today, members at Maysville Baptist Church. We love God, love others, and serve the world. That's our, man, that's our, rat, that's our battle cry. That's what we're doing. That's what we want to be about. But we haven't had a quiet time in weeks we hadn't had a prayer time in months he's coming why don't you get right with God friend why don't you turn from your ways come back to Jesus Say, I don't know where to start. Listen, you need to call the church, sign up. Uh, every, listen, every day I send out a verse. Every day there's a verse that comes out. You can receive a Bible verse every day, and you can use that as your devotion. Every day. Call the church. Get on that list if you're not getting that. Hey, here's a great idea. Proverbs. Match the date with Proverbs. Today's the, the fifth, sixth. I don't even know what today is. My stars. But match that with the proverb for the day. That's a great way to have a devotion time. And then 
and just talk to God. You say, man, I've never done that before. Then why don't you start? The Bible says today's the day of salvation. Today's the day for you to get right with God. Today's the day that Jesus, once again, is looking over our cities. He's looking over our towns. He's looking over our communities. He's looking over also our congregation, our churches. This isn't my church. This is. I'm just his messenger. I'm the shepherd of this flock. And to this flock I say, stay true. Stay faithful. Don't ever, ever, ever give up. Love God. Love others. Serve the world. Father, this is my desire. This is the message you've laid on my heart today. God, would we take it, apply it, and God, I pray we'd flesh it out. That from this day forward, We'd have a stronger walk with you. Thank you for what you're going to do in this week to come. I love you. I praise you. And I pray your blessings upon all those that are watching today. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you today. I want to thank you so much for watching. I also want to say this. I'd love to hear from you. Those of you that responded via Facebook, thank you. For those watching on YouTube and Vimeo or on our website, shoot me an email. I'd love to hear from you today. I'm praying for you. May the Lord bless you, and I will see you on Wednesday with some very important announcements to give to you. God bless you, and have a great, great day. Thank you so very much for worshiping with us today here at Maysville Baptist Church. Our purpose is loving God, loving others, and serving the world. As pastor here, one of my greatest uh, desires is that everyone would know that they're going to heaven when they die. Several years ago, I wrote a little track that says, You Can Know. I would love to send this track to you. If you would send me an email just letting me know you would like this little track, I'd be glad to drop it in the mail and send it over to you. Again, we are so grateful that you worshiped with us today. May the Lord bless you. Hope you tune in next week, and we'll see you right here at Maysville Baptist Church.